you. What about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of the DC multiverse. Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. And it was your pick this week, so take it away. Well, we're continuing my uh, ongoing quest to, before we hit our two-year anniversary, pick a bunch of things that I have been talking about doing something from since the start of the pod. So we did our first Daredevil for my last pick, and this pick, I'm finally picking something from Grant Morrison's Batman run. Uh, This is deeply overdue, and I haven't even picked a story with Damien so we still have deeply overdue Damien's story in the future. But I figured this would probably be your favorite out of all the stories in their run. And it's got that J.H. Williams III art. We're reading Batman 667 to 669, otherwise known as Batman the Black Glove or the Island of Mr. Mayhew, depending... Betrayed was always called Batman the Black Glove. So that's what I tend to think of it as. I've only read teeny pieces of Morrison's time on Batman. So I can't speak to it overall, but this is certainly my favorite of what I've read of it by a pretty large margin. So I think you guessed pretty well. Have you read the Rose issue about Joker? No, ever since I heard about it, I've been curious, but I haven't actually gotten around to it. It's completely insane. I, I The prose chunks are actually pretty good. The problem is it's kind of difficult to read because there's all of this like awful digital art going on around it that's really distracting and doesn't look good. Which just makes it still sound interesting, if nothing else. Oh, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And and it's actually a vital chunk of the run. It's it's basically where Morrison lays down their entire take on Joker. But today, we are not talking about Joker. Today, we are talking about a significant number of my top 10 favorite Batman supporting characters. Various members of the Batman of All Nations... Uh, nowadays, Batman Incorporated is what you would call this group, or the Club of Heroes, as they were when they sort of first got together as an official body back in the day. So these were a bunch of characters introduced in Batman comics uh, back in the 50s that Morrison has repurposed here. Um, so the Batman of All Nations... And the Club of Heroes are basically the only appearances of most of these characters. And then a couple of them, like um, Man of Bats and Raven Red and uh, Wingman, are actually from other stories that Morrison's just sort of folded into the expanded backstory of the Club of Heroes. Uh, so the Morrison Batman runs kind of comes in three chunks. And the first chunk, 
like each of which has its own little climax. So the first chunk, and this is what climaxes with Batman R.I.P. and kind of Final Crisis, is Morrison basically taking all of the silly old Batman comic shit and like the 60s show and all of those like the things that no one ever does anything with about Batman and incorporating it into a you know 21st century Batman story in a way that works so all of the like international crime busters who sort of were inspired by Batman to be a weird national stereotype hero come back and they're essentially like post-crisis versions who've all been revamped and now have like some sort of depressing new angle on their story. And then all of this is wrapped up in a Agatha Christie style isolated island locked room murder mystery. With regards to the characters... I did not know before you're confirming if these were, in fact, old school, like, one-time appearance characters or whatever, or if they had just been, like, made up for this as sort of parody characters, because they sort of feel like they could be on either side of that line where... I would have believed you if you said, oh, yeah, these are 50s characters or, oh, no, these are just general archetypal parodies. Like a couple of them have a little bit of the feel you get whenever people want to make fun of the super friends, that sort of thing. Like one who is just here is the Zorro guy, stuff like that. And the thing is, like, it works whether you have read the old school shit that no one reads and cares about or not, you know, like, even though they are deep cut reference characters to be pulling out, it's not at all important that you have read what they're from before or not. Yeah. And, like, they're all, like, so significantly revamped here. They are basically new characters. I mean, certainly considering just how silly their original appearances are. And also that for almost all of them, it was they all appear in a single, like, six-page story in a 50s Batman comic that is not concerned with developing these characters. It's just, like, here's some stuff we can, like... Whatever the writer is on, this is what he came up with this week. I mean, this is why the the guy from Italy is called the Legionnaire and is, like, Roman-themed. Perfectly expendable, too, which, like, ties in well with the murder mystery aspect of it because they're all, you know essentially nobodies, essentially new, like you said. There's no one who feels so significant that you feel like they have any sort of plot armor, you know, which helps in terms of just, like, the murder mystery angle of it in terms of, oh, anyone could die and anyone could be the perpetrator because these are nobodies where you don't have to worry about 
the thing that creators talk about with regards to like putting toys back in the toy box because these are characters who you could either say a no one ever would have wanted a toy of or more accurately probably b you would probably want a toy of now but only because of the story uh at least for some of the less racially fraught characters i should say yes well i mean most of them are white and so it's generally fine like Okay, we should just run through the group really quick so that, like, because that way everyone knows who's here. So we've got Batman, and he's with Tim Drake's Robin right now. This is post the introduction of Damien, but pre, like, Damien becoming Robin. So it's, like, that, like, end era of Tim Drake as, like, the main Robin. Knight and Squire, who Morrison had actually already reintroduced in JLA Confidential where the revamp of taking the previous squire who's now succeeded his dad and become the knight and now there's a commoner regular like poor english woman who is the new squire uh beryl who's fabulous i love beryl the legionnaire who's the italian one there's i'm actually struggling to remember the name of the french guy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry one second i don't know why i can't remember his name right now oh it's literally fucking musketeer jesus okay <laughs> musketeer who's the french one uh wingman who is from an undisclosed european nation in his original story uh it they speak a foreign language but they don't say which one because robin learns it but like it's never specified which, so I'm going to assume based on the presence of, like, an Italian character and a French character, maybe he's from either Spain or, like, Eastern Europe. I don't know. Dark Ranger, who is from Australia, and then Man of Bats and Raven Red, who are Native American. Dark Ranger, who I will specify, wears an entirely stark white outfit. The Dark Ranger, who is the brightest clad of everyone there. Yeah, yeah, that that is... It is a weird choice with that name, but he did that. He was originally the Ranger, and he's changed it to Dark Ranger. Because, like, his revamp is basically that, like, the criminals in his area keep getting nastier... And he's just getting nasty to go with them. Um, so like the legionnaire has retired from crime fighting and like took bribes from criminals to quit like fighting certain crimes and basically become a hedonist. Wingman has gone from wearing his like Robin-esque bright red and yellow outfit to this very self-conscious like Batman imitation where he's very, very clear that he's not imitating Batman. He came up with this whole concept at least a year, maybe more, before Batman did. Oh, I forgot El Gaucho. How can I forget El Gaucho from Argentina? El Gaucho's great. He doesn't do that much in this, except for like a couple badass things, but El Gaucho's great. Uh, you can tell which characters got spotlight issues in Batman Incorporated later on based on how much I love them. 
Uh, the musketeers just like retired from crime fighting after accidentally killing one of his enemies. Uh, we've already talked about what Knight and Squire have had happen to them since the old days. El Gaucho is just continued to be successful. He's basically just like Batman in, in Argentina. Like he is a rich guy in Argentina who does Batman's kind of deal. And he's a well-respected crime fighter there. He's just local. And then Man of Bats and Raven Red, who I love, but their portrayal in this first story, I well, Raven Red is annoying, and for some reason Morrison has had Man of Bats has an alcohol problem, which in terms of portraying a Native American character is not great. Like, if this guy wasn't Native American, I wouldn't have a problem with this as being, like, your, you know, grittier, rebooted, like, post-crisis approach to the character. But, uh, bad choice. I will say, this gets dropped in every subsequent appearance of Man of Bats. Like, at no point further on does he have any, like, alcohol-related problems. Um, he is a doctor who basically does, like, a dime store, sort of, we have no money, but we're gonna do Batman anyway, approach to the whole crime-finding business on the reservation that he lives on, um, and is, like, a neighborhood hero there, very specifically. He, like, in order to get any money in that he can, has turned his Batcave into, like, a roadside attraction-type deal. Um, the spotlight issue that he has later on in Batman Incorporated is actually heavily inspired on Morrison's part by um, Glasgow back in when Morrison was a kid, which was and has a had a similar rate of poverty and crime to like reservations inside of a country that supposedly shouldn't have this poverty rate going on, like once Morrison did the research, they did a much better job. I would kill for a Man of Bats Raven Red series written by someone who is actually Native American. <laughs> that would be wonderful. But yeah. So basically what happens is Batman and Tim Drake arrive um, on this island. They've all been called by John Mayhew, who is the rich guy who in the original like 50s issues got them all together as the Club of Heroes. He spent a bunch of money on a building ahead and headquarters and stuff like that. And basically, uh, it appears in this one issue of World's Finest and then never again. And so it's established here as, you know, we get the details and what's going on with everyone. And we find out everybody's sort of new backstory or, um, you know, re revamped versions of these characters that Batman didn't show up to the second meeting and there was a lot of infighting and the whole thing fell apart and Mayhew seemed to be a very suspect kind of person. Basically, the implication is that his fifth wife had been cheating on him with an actor called Mangrove Pierce and... Batman had always had suspected that Mayhew had killed her and that Pierce, who went to jail for her death, wasn't the one who did it. 
uh, this winds up tying in to Batman's ongoing war against the Black Glove, which is this secret organization who have been at the center of a lot of Batman-related problems lately. Funnily enough, the villain who is running the Black Glove, as we find out later on, is another, like, 50s Batman comic one-appearance callback. <laughs> All of this belies, I think, the biggest attraction of this three-issue arc, which is J.H. Williams's art, which is stunning. Oh, yeah. So every single one of these characters, like, I've sort of run through the ways in which they have been revamped. They're all drawn as though they're drawn by different artists because the intention is, and I have not been able to do this, but the intention is that you can look at them and figure out what writer-artist team Morrison is pretending revamped these characters since they last appeared. I think Legion... Legionnaire might be being drawn by an imagined Dave Gibbons, but that's the only one where I've been able to nail it down. Knight and Squire are clearly, I think, imitating the Ed McGuinness art that these new designs for them were introduced in in that JLA classified story that Morrison did. So I suppose that one I've also been able to nail down. But out of all the other ones, I'm like, I think Legionnaire is Dave Gibbons, but it's it's great. You can see the different art style on them. It's very clear. Oh, I think actually El Gaucho might be Frank Miller. There's a similar sort of effect used of like consciously differing style that Williams also does in his series Echo Lands, which is on my long list of things to make you read. He pulls the sort of trick in that, too, of, like, all the main characters are resembling a different artist's art style. Which, to be clear, in this comic, like, works. It's not, like, discordant in a way that takes away from it at all. Especially since Batman and Robin are, like, painted. It's it's It shouldn't work, but it does. Um, which I also put down to Day Stewart, the colorist, kicking ass. Yeah. Um, and like managing to make it all work despite the fact that like describing it, it sounds like it should look really dumb, but it does not. It looks awesome. It's so cool. And the fact that I've I've you know, I, I've been reading Morrison's run, I first read like a decade ago. Actually, yeah, it would be it would be twelve years ago, uh, this year that I first started reading the Morrison run. Cause when I started reading it, it was like right around the new 52 but before when they had announced that batman incorporate was coming back for the last volume to finish the run but like before that actually started because i got that last run in singles but everything else was already out in trades and hardcovers but uh yeah this morrison run is what got me back into comics in a big way uh it the way that morrison approached batman got me to read a bunch more batman books and like it's all the basic shit that everyone's sort of read you know your long halloweens your batman year ones your dark knight returns it's the things that every single one of the movies is pulling from but like because i was read i i wanted to read this because i liked the idea of it when i heard about it and then 
I read a bunch of other Batman stuff to be like prepared for it, I guess. And then I just kept buying comics and here I am today. The other thing that Williams does is I, I this is very like expected of J.H. Williams of foot. The layouts are fucking insane. There are a couple pages with something fairly standard, you know, a six panel grid or a um you know, a stack of three panels or something like that. And then, you know, just as frequently we'll get either pages where there aren't really distinct panels and the images just sort of shift between. Like the panels are there, but the way it's drawn, there's no panel lines, there's no separation between them. It's just, you'll have the characters looking at something and then what they're looking at and then the characters in like a close-up but it's it's not drawn so there is a clear line between them or my personal favorite the occasional two-page spreads where the panels form a batman logo which then will probably have the dark shape of a black glove reaching across it um as you know the secret organization that has set this whole situation up is uh, enacting one of the evil plans i do like the various instances of the like arm and glove spreads yeah there's also the very first page of the first issue we're talking about has sort of like a matryoshka doll effect of like the first panel is inside of the second panel is inside of the third and it just sort of like keeps building out whip wise as the page goes on and then yeah i love the spreads in general i love the page layouts never sacrifices clarity for creativity it's always still perfectly easy to follow while looking great and you know just being exciting to look at because of the novelty of it all and i'll specifically shout out the ways in which the issue titles are rendered will have a very pulpy feel to them like in the first issue Across the first double-page spread, we have the island of Mr. Mayhew scrawled across this Batman logo in a font that, I guess, audio medium, I can't fully sell it, but it just has a real pulpy feel to it. Like, all of the letters, they're not uniform, they're like going at all sorts of different angles and different sizes as they sort of wrap into the various wings of the Batman logo. And then in subsequent issues, the title panels will have sort of like a blood effect to them. It's all just very pulpy and fun in a way that is both visually interesting on its own and also sort of feels like an appropriate callback to these issues pulling from decades-old material. Speaking of the lettering, we should quickly mention that these were lettered by Ken Lopez, who is the only creative I haven't just brought up naturally. The lettering is also well done. 
I'm not sure how much of the... I also bring it up because I'm not sure how much of the titles is in the art or the the lettering. I'd be interested in seeing, like, the pencils for this. Yeah, something like this. It's kind of hard to tell because it just feels so integral that for, like, the larger parts, it wouldn't be surprising if J.H. Williams did some of them. Yeah, the incorporation of the lettering into the art is something that Morrison was interested in at this point. Um, they worked closely with Frank Whiteley to do a lot of that in the first three issues of the Batman and Robin run that they do uh, a little later than this, uh, which is absolutely the next bit of this Batman run we will be covering at some point, by the way. Um, I also really love whenever one of the members of the Club of Heroes dies, we get a really great spread of like them in their heyday. You know, it's it's the characters who had like appeared once who don't matter. You know, no one gives a shit about the Legionnaire. But we get a real sense of this character's history very quickly, like they feel very fleshed out and very like three-dimensional as characters like they make sense and you'll get this spread showing essentially the glory days before you know whatever's gone wrong with them went wrong and it's williams again like consciously goes to a different style and the uh the steward colors it with flats and it's got a very nice Silver Age appearance whenever it happens. Um, I love the Wingman Ron that also serves as a reveal of his original outfit. If you aren't familiar with the character from the one, his one prior appearance, unless I'm very mistaken, in Batman number sixty-five from nineteen fifty-one. <laughs> Double-digit issue of Batman. Unheard of until the modern era, where we just get a new number one every time someone starts writing it again actually they've stopped doing that now haven't they 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 quit dc have been better about that yeah batman especially i know that they returned detective comics and action comics to the numbering but i but superman got a new number one have they been redoing batman with the new writers doesn't matter um there's just like it looks so great uh, there's also when we get flashbacks to the um, there's a few flashbacks from Cyril's point of view the night back when he was Squire and it's bits of the second meeting of the Club of Heroes where we start getting a bit more context for whatever went down at that last meeting uh, the colors are all done with this chroma key effect it is I I will say it is the kind of thing that you can do by pushing a button in like Photoshop. But the thing that I really love about it is that intentionally the colors have been painted outside the lines a bit. So it looks as though the printer was misaligned, which is such a nice little touch. It's very subtle, but you can see it on um, several of these pages. And that's great. Yeah definitely helps take it there to a degree that it wouldn't otherwise like 
there's a real difference between, say, a perfectly glossy and shiny new omnibus reprinting old material and actually looking at a decades-old comic book with the various ways in which things are either out of alignment or just what's going on with the colors on the page, physically speaking. Yeah, and I think it's definitely, like, it's definitely a step towards capturing that. I, I have seen it done better, but not very often. And obviously, again, the line work is flawless at, like, it's still, well, in those panels, it's still, like, fairly modern in terms of the posing. Like, if you actually look at these old issues, which I have, so DC, as, like, sort of part of this Batman run that was happening, um, I think this is shortly after Batman R.I.P., but people wanted to read the, you know, insanely old issues that Grant Morrison had insanely based some of the like at the time and i think still to this day biggest and most important batman stories ever in the comics on so they reprint they did this it's called the black case book and it's a collection of 12 old batman stories basically all from the 50s and early 60s but to like present it they've tried to make it look really serious like if you look at the outside of it it's it's like a black journal with um you know notebook paper doing a quick google image search yeah like this cover design looks kind of ridiculous like it's giving editorial mandates like okay we have to try and fool people with what's inside this and make the outside look much more serious and gritty for the modern batman reader and hope that this copy is shrink wrapped at the store and that they don't get to see how bright and colorful it is before they buy it even just I... the title, the Black Case Book, just so the Black bounds. Case Book is a plot point in the run. In fairness to them for the title, the Black Case Book is what Batman calls his book full of cases he's undergone where he either um couldn't explain them at all, like it's not something he thinks has like an easy to explain solution, or he um the experience was just bizarre and strange. So uh, most of it is filled with 50s and 60s Batman stories that Morrison largely explains by Batman was injected with a lot of drugs by a lot of insane criminals and saw a lot of shit while having a lot of hallucinations. <laughs> so, you know, every time Batman wound up on an alien planet meeting an alternate version of himself who wears a... Uh, red yellow and purple outfit that goes into the black case book and so that's why they named the collection that but yes the design for it's so over serious but looking at the the way that those panels were laid out back in the day god the six panel grid 
that most of the flashbacks here are set to is so nice because the paneling layout by these artists and there's a vast variety of them in this collection but pretty much none of them actually sat down and made a grid and so there are panels and there's like chunks of the lettering but are just jutting into each other in weird inconsistent ways do you mean within the casebook or within the casebook and like within the actual old issues and i am a little surprised that williams didn't try and imitate the i'm gonna say relative thoughtlessness of how to lay out a page that was clearly you know something that was a bit more rushed back then than artists saw now and also like harder to do you don't have the ability to actually just like lay out a square the way that you do now when you're you know mostly working digitally although i suppose this would probably still i don't know what medium will williams uses to be honest yeah like my immediate impression looking at it is just that he is the sort of masterful person who can probably do everything but I haven't really dived into any sort of creator process interviews, so yeah, I um, I remember re I I spent a lot of time trying to find old interviews about this arc specifically, and unfortunately, I couldn't. I remember seeing them back in the day, but um, I guess trying to Google for something that's over ten years old is difficult. Uh, this was a two thousand and seven comic, so. Google has also gotten so much worse since 2007, so... Oh, yes. We also get introduced to um, some members of... Uh, and mostly just the idea of them, but some members of the Club of Villains, which later on does become an actual thing. The Club of Villains are, like, the main physical threat for a large chunk of Batman R.I.P., which is sort of the, the grand finale to this chunk of the run. Specifically, El Sombrero. What did you think of El Sombrero? Was that the guy in, like, the last issue who just had, like, that face mask on was, like, the main defining part of his of his look? Yes, although I will say, technically, this isn't El Sombrero. This is... John Mayhew dressed up as El Sombrero, but also we do meet the real El Sombrero later on, so, like, this kind of counts, I guess. <laughs> uh, El Sombrero is the villain who, basically his whole deal is, if you don't want to make your big death trap house yourself, he'll do it for you. He's out for hire to make death traps for supervillains. I love that Morrison's just like someone needs to just be making all of these death traps for someone. I like the concept. Yeah, it's a sort of like logical thought of just like not everyone in this world where virtually everyone is either crime fighting or committing crime in elaborate costumed ways. Not everyone can be skilled at every facet of tech making and costume making. So it makes sense that there would be like super villains, seamstresses and things like that, you know, like doing some of the work for like the larger industry at large or whatever. 
with regards to I guess like the villain it's like maybe I just need to reread it or maybe I just need a little more time to sit on it with regards to the ending because it's not that I dislike the ending at all but when I think about this comic I largely think about like the first half or so with just like the excitement with which all of the sort of mystery puzzle pieces are set up more so than the way that the plot is sort of resolved and or like semi-resolved you know with just like the sense that the black glove is still ongoing and all of that you know it's like I didn't really feel like I had a lot of time with the resolution which isn't necessarily me saying that as a criticism you know so much as maybe I need a bit more time to digest and go back into it but it's the sort of thing where like with a murder mystery like a closed room you know closed island whatever mystery it's like for me personally so much of the fun is just like the first 15 minutes of the introduction and getting to meet all of the suspects and all of that, that it kind of becomes easy for me to focus more on that than on the actual resolution. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Um, I like that. So the, the eventual resolution is that wingman is the killer but he has killed Dark Ranger, put Dark Ranger in his outfit, and is now wearing Dark Ranger's outfit. Which, basically, you can figure out that this is something that Wigman has done, based solely on a single line earlier, where Ringman asks if anyone heard his plane arriving, because none of them are able to hear the bat plane when it arrives. Which is supposed to clue you in on the fact that his plane was already there. <laughs> like, it's such a small, tiny clue. Uh, but basically, he's doing it out of resentment for the way the Club of Heroes fell apart after Batman quit. Because the Club of Heroes could have been something that was JLA level. Um, but, you know, didn't work out. And he's pissed that he didn't get to be a famous crime fighter. Meanwhile, John Mayhew is actually alive and has basically funded this setup um, to try and get into the Black Glove, who are international super rich gamblers who gamble on real life situations. And right now the Black Glove is involved in gambling on a bunch of Batman stuff. This is why Batman's running into them right now is because basically the Black Gov are like, can something beat Batman? Place your bets. Of course, Mayhew, Mayhew loses and gets blown up. It, I, it, it, it definitely is something that makes more sense once you've read a bit further and you know what the Black Glove actually is. Because <laughs> it's not explained in this story. You get some of the imagery of like the gambling and the idea that they're placing your bets, you know, who's going to win good or evil. But basically this is where the concept is set up, but this is a small chunk of a much larger story. Uh, This arc is mostly here to 
introduce the club of heroes to get rid of some of the characters who are less interesting to Morrison, many of whom will be replaced. Like there's a, a new dark ranger character who takes over that role in um, Batman incorporated uh, the, there's a new wingman in Batman incorporated as well. While also like setting up the black glove and their like MO but yeah, the art on this is just so I, I'm every time I read this story, I just wind up looking at the pages. Yeah, I think the limited amount of info on the Black Love organization works here, you know, like the issues sell the whole sort of shadowy organization in the background that we don't know anything about. You know, like, it sells that successfully. It is just sort of, like, dangling the barest hint of what this is. And the art really helps sell it in a degree that I think makes it all the more interesting than it necessarily would have been otherwise of just, like, the incorporation of the hand motif into the page layouts really just takes it there and helps it, you know, be more exciting than just, say, any other secret organization or whatever. But can I also just point out one of the most memorable images to me is in the first issue of the arc, when everyone's arrived, they finally sit down to watch like the video message that John Mayhew has left for them. And it's this guy saying, you probably think I'm billionaire philanthropist, John Mayhew, don't you? Yada, yada, yada. But I won't lie to you. I'm not John. John's dead. I killed him. And now I'm wearing his skin. And it's specifically like the way that this two-page spread is composed where like across the top third, a bit more than a third of the spread, you have like the character looking down and his like chin is obscured by like the tops of the middle rows of panels. And like down the side of one of the sides of his faces, the skin looks fucked up but you can't fully see what's going on. And then in the middle panels, as like the character starts like lifting his face up and you close up on his chin in the bottom half of his face, you see more of what's going on of just like the image of this man wearing another man's face where like the dividing line is essentially like the mask's chin ends around like the top lip so you're seeing this live mouth talking right underneath of this dead mouth and it really works for me personally like that description I guess like sounds like it could end up coming off as too edgelordy or something but here I think it really works I think it again just great enhancement of the sense of stakes and this crime, the murder mystery setting, this really creepy image to 
get the ball rolling, you know. I just think it's neat. My favorite thing about that is it's just special effects. Mayhew's not dead. That's not him. Yeah, the fake out of it. It's 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 even better. It's like you open with this gory image, which like also I think the injection of a bit of horror into a Batman story is always good. I'm always down for like something a bit edgy in a Batman comic. It always works. I mean, the what one of the most popular versions of Batman is like the Arkham Asylum one and from the, the video games, and those games became in part so popular because of the scarecrow sequences. I think that like Batman and horror or like serial killer fiction tropes are very hand in hand. I really um, love the very next page where all of their vehicles being blown up so they can't possibly escape is like contained within this two page spread inside the black glove shape. That's like this consistent part of the art throughout this. And it's also on some of the covers of other chunks of the run. But this is like the one time where it's it, where, well, Williams is the only person who like does this kind of shit who draws for this run. And I love it so much. Really? I guess it doesn't necessarily like add new information because like we already know from context that like, it would be the black glove doing this. Like we have other hints already, but it just reinforces that information in such a way that just makes the image really interesting to look at and just has really great melodrama. And like it's not just the planes exploding because you also get touches of like the water and the palm trees on the outer edges of the fingertips and like the house that they're all talking in in the distance it's just this really lovely backdrop that shows the explosion and the like remote location that they are now being trapped upon really well I love the island too. It's it's so Scooby Doo in just the best way. This big empty house filled with rooms with secret passages. There's literally a secret passage in the library. You don't have to move a book to get into it. It's not quite that tropey, but there's literally like a, a library secret passage. There's an army of uh like knights robots that activate like the, the the suits of armor in the hall that turn out to be robots that attack you i love that shit uh, it is very scooby-doo which is always complimentary for me scooby-doo fucking rules uh batman needs to do more scooby-doo shit batman should be scooby-doo but like aimed at an old older audience where you're doing like gritty scooby-doo but in a way that would work and not in the way that actual gritty scooby-doo just doesn't fucking work yeah which like speaking of scooby-doo and the library you know there is a real scooby-doo feeling to just the clue finding of robin and batman being like 
okay, we've seen the library. What's wrong between the library we're in and the library on the video? There's no light source where there was one in the video, meaning there's a hidden passage to this side. So we've got to find it. And Robin like clicks a little hidden button on a globe opening the secret passageway that you mentioned and yeah yeah nice scooby-doo stuff i uh speaking of that scene i love the like swift friendship that builds between tim drake and beryl hutchinson uh you know robin and, and squire in this like robin's basically uh, when they're on their way there talking to batman and batman's kind of explaining you know, oh, yeah, we're going to go meet up with all these people who are basically just, like, me ripoffs from different countries. And he's like, oh, God, not a bunch of C-listers, which, frankly, C-lister is kind of generous for most of these characters. <laughs> Certainly oh, at yeah. this point. But, like, he and Beryl get on so well, and, like, he clearly winds up really respecting her by the end of the story, at the very least, and sort of by extension, Cyril, who is... Also great, although in, in this one, admittedly, he does spend a lot of time uh, having swallowed a bomb that he needs to get out. <laughs> There's, like, multiple pages that are just, like, night having to try and vomit. Which does get us, like, the, the, the one bit of really good Man of Bat stuff here, which he is a medical doctor uh, in his, like, civilian identity, and so he's able to, like, sterilize the wound when he cuts out the bomb. That's That's fun. I, I like the idea of Man of Bat so much. I, I really do just need someone who's even just like Grant Morrison is maybe the whitest person on the planet is the thing. I think mostly because they do try sometimes to, to do this where they'll have like this. They try to do the giant size X-Men thing several times throughout their career and it never quite works. And it only never quite works with a very specific set of characters. But um, as I said, they do fix most of this, I would say, a little bit later in terms of the uh, Man of Bats, Raven, Red stuff. And yeah, uh, this is just such a good three-issue arc. This is exactly what this like series needed as well. Right before this was uh, Batman 666, which is a utterly insane um andy cubert or is it adam cubert andy i always get my cubits mixed up um uh, uh, utterly insane andy cubert drawn like flash forward to damian wayne as batman in like this dark future which like it's good but it's also just so strange and at this point in time feels really disconnected from everything that's been going on aside from I guess, oh, Damien's going to be back because Damien had basically been introduced, acted like a little asshole, and then immediately left the book, supposedly dying. That's Damien's first story. And this comes in, it introduces, you know, most of what's going to be the ongoing plot for a little while, which is this conflict with the Black Glove. All of these characters, as I said, many of whom get built upon later in really good, interesting ways. And I mean, they're all really interesting here. Like, the thing... The speed with which these characters feel as though they do actually have their own comic somewhere 
is so impressive to me. Um, I love the bit where they're debating their different villains, and we're just getting like more characters just name dropped who are just being made up out of whole cloth here, just to fill out the world that these people live in, and that like, yeah, not everything's happening in America in the DC universe. You know, there's at very least like. El Gaucho, of course he's got a Catwoman. Her name is Scorpiana, and she has a blue scorpion motif, because that's cool. I love that shit. All in all, it sort of does a good job of introducing a sense of history where there was none. But, um, yeah, uh, everyone should read this three issues. Everyone should read Morrison's Batman run. It, it rules. It is the best Batman run of comics ever, frankly, in my opinion. But I hold my opinion very highly, so. I haven't read enough to concur or disagree, but I certainly liked these specifically quite a bit. These were one of the best things that you've had us read in quite a while, I would say. Yeah, I... It's so good that it's difficult to find things to talk about. I feel like I just keep pointing to the page being like, I like this. But that is kind of my take on it, is I just think this is good. This is just, it's really exciting, and it's fun, and it's wacky in a way that Batman comics don't normally get to be. But it's also, like, still capturing, I think, the sort of dark, gritty thing that people like about the character these days. It looks stunning. Every page is like a fucking masterpiece. Like the page where Batman walks in and it's a full page spread of Batman just standing in the doorway. And then there's six panels showing all the characters who are already in the room just reacting to seeing Batman walk in and all the different expressions on their face. And again, each one of these characters is drawn in a slightly different art style. And then Batman is also drawn in a different style from all of them with like an entirely different sort of attempt at coloring him. Like he's colored in in this page, he's actually black and white for some reason. Uh, But he still is normally colored in such a way to try and make him look painted compared to most of the other characters. And it just all looks so cool. Yeah, like, the sort of gray-skinned Batman always looks good. The sort of, like, simpler than some of the other layouts. Example two is just, like, there's a series of pages in 669 where it's, like, more or less sort of standard panel layout except the thing is that it looks as if the art has been like skewed diagonally slightly to the side so that it's not like the lines of like the panel borders aren't just like straight flat lines like it's as if they've been tilted a bit diagonally to just sort of add all the more sense of action happening and movement, which, you know, sounds simple, but is still effective. I also like just all the times that 
he renders water. William's renderings of water always look really good. Yeah, I I agree. I I always like that. Um, have you read uh Williams's Batman, uh Batwoman? Sorry, stuff. Yes, it's been quite a while, but yes, I have some fabulous stuff with some of the villains in that. There's the one who's like a loose take on La Lorna, I think. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've read it, but I remember that just looking so good. Um, I really like in the sort of final action where the sequence with the sidekicks in the death trap and the sequence of Batman fighting the newly revealed wingman have around each set of panels different color like so the batman wingman stuff has black borders between the panels and then the sidekick stuff has yellow borders between the panels to make it easy to read at a glance what's happening where when you're going through and like yeah it's that chunk of pages that you were talking about where a lot of the action is skewed and it almost looks for a few pages as though there's two different comics that have just been stacked on top of each other slightly it's it's really inventive and like the the color choice for the panels makes it so that even though you're reading like this weird skewed layout where things are happening at two entirely different locations you can still instantly tell what's happening and who's where and it's not confusing at all it's just so effectively done it's such great storytelling yeah, like large amounts of panels and composition choices that are complicated and like panels that aren't purely like same size squares in the same grid, you know, and they like tilt, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no clarity issues. There's no visual confusion it still on a fundamental level just understands how to lead someone's eye across the page perfectly i am now quickly looking to see hang on sorry never mind it had occurred to me that i should try and see if i can figure out when wingman replaced dark ranger by looking at at the art style Dark Ranger is drawn in, but unfortunately Wingman and Dark Ranger's art styles are a little too close for me to be able to tell at part at a glance. So I don't think we can use that as a clue. What do you think of the little theme that mostly is like at the very beginning and then at the very end bookending it of Batman just being curious like what does the man who has everything do when he gets bored with regards to like the missing rich man who they come to find and then is, you know, one of the big bads, but also just the lamp shading of, well, Batman is as rich as it gets and he's flying around doing all this. I I love it. It, it is also partly that's what leads into a lot of the rest of the run. Um, like, because that is the Black Glove, most of the members of it. Now, the, the lead member of it, Simon Hurt, has a lot of other things going on. But most of the members are essentially, like, people who are 
stupid rich, like even beyond Bat like Bruce Wayne's level of wealth, uh, who have nothing better to do with their time because everything they could possibly want to experience, they can at a whim. I like it as a concept. Um, I really like when superheroes have to beat the shit out of rich people and not poor people. So that's always a plus for me. Oh. The least sympathetic aspect of Batman is he is rich. It's kind of what makes him cool, but it also does mean that, like, yeah, I, I, I like it. I like it as a concept. I like the um, uh, brain suddenly decided to reset on me. It adds a sense of humor to it, which I like batman to have a sense of humor i don't like when he's just a hard ass yeah yeah and i like that initially robin thinks he's talking about these other heroes but he isn't he's talking about mayhew specifically and that like we get the reveal towards the end that he was hoping to get some like ground on his like quiet in the background investigation of mayhew that he's presumably been doing for 12 years which is how long it's been since the second Club of Heroes meeting. I I do love how um if you do the math on Batman in like the Morrison run, he's like 40 in this, probably. Certainly by the end, it's it's great. Cause all of this stuff that happened 12 years ago was like this is even before he met Talia and Raz. Like, he's been Batman for probably about 14, 15 years at the start of this run. I like that he gets to be older and experienced. And now everyone's sort of excited about the idea of Batman being, like, you know, this incredible badass who can do anything. But, like, that idea starts with Morrison in JLA and gets expanded in the Morrison run. Before Morrison, like, most Batman stuff is still, like, at best a riff on Denny O'Neill or, like, Frank Miller in terms of just, like, the way they're approaching the character. And I really love this more holistic take on him where it's, like, he's done so many things. He's gone on so many weird hallucinogenic trips because, like, a villain has drugged him. Uh, his one of his best friends is an alien from another planet, and all of that is an important part of the character. I really like when Batman gets to be weird and gets to be hyper-competent and, you know, beyond human in the way that all the other DC heroes are, which is part of why this is my favorite Batman run. But, yeah. As I said, I, I think this run's great. People need to read it. We one will be checking out more for the podcast for sure. One final art note I'll mention is just the final two page spread with the last use of the black glove arm panel shape in which Mayhew is now caught within the palm of the glove right before he's blown up. Because <laughs> they blow up the whole damn island when everyone escapes. Yeah. That's this is it, audio medium. Go and look at this comic for yourselves. Yeah, like there's never any real full depicting 
visuals through auditory medium, but that's so much more the case with a Williams book. It's it's also because it's so different from what just about anybody else does as well. And it just makes it that much harder to describe. The way that these different characters look like they've been not only drawn by different people, but sometimes in different, like, mediums. It's crazy. But it works yeah. so well. Yeah. I guess, did you have anything no, else you wanted to touch on? Or have we basically just sung Williams's praises enough? I think we have. Yeah. So what were you going to pick for next week? So next week we are returning to my favorite comic with Banana Fish Volume 3. Sweet. Yep, but in the meantime, these issues are on DC Infinite. If you have access to that, not sure if a trade is on Hoopla or not, but regardless of how, these are very good. Check them out. And thank you all for listening and bye. Bye, everyone. Be excellent to each other. <laughs>